Good morning. Is this on? Hello. How's everyone doing? Good, good. All right. Well, let's open our Bibles up to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis 39. We're going through the through the story of Joseph and uh, this is a very this is probably my favorite account in the scriptures as I said before, besides the gospels of course. Joseph, who's uh, also a wonderful picture of Christ himself. And uh, Joseph, who has been sold into slavery by his brothers. That's brotherly love for you, isn't it? (laughs) I'm going to read the chapter, and then we'll go through and, and go through and comment. Now, Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian official of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard brought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. And Yahweh, the Lord, was with Joseph. So he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended on him, and he appointed him overseer over his house, and all that he owned he gave into his hand. Now it happened that from the time he appointed him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he owned, and in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's hand. And with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was beautiful in form and beautiful in appearance. And it happened after these events that his master's wife set her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has given all that he owns into my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? So it happened that as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household were there inside. Then she seized him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. Now it happened when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and he fled outside, that she called to the men of her household and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to laugh to, la- to us, to laugh at us. He came in to, to me to lie with me, and I screamed. Now it happened that when, I, that when he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, that he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. And she placed the garment beside her until her master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, saying, The Hebrew slave 
whom you brought to us came unto me to laugh at me. And as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Now it happened that when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended loving kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. So the chief jailer gave into the hand of Joseph all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's hand because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to succeed. Wow. What, what an account. Wow. Joseph, of course, sold by his brothers to Egypt. He has been long forgotten by them. His dad thinks he's dead. He's grieving back in the promised land, back in Canaan. Joseph is alive and well. And this is the beginning, in one sense, of a fulfillment of the promise of God. See, God... Let me just pause right here. Let me not unpause. I had a thought, and sometimes I interrupt my thoughts with another thought, so I have to keep track. But God sent Joseph ahead, right? And this is the beginning of God's promise to Abraham. God says to Abraham in Genesis 15, Know for certain that your descendants, Abraham, this is, let's see, dad is Jacob, Isaac is grandfather, great-grandfather, I'm, I'm, my age is, you know, I gotta, I gotta count my age, you know, when people ask me how old I am, I can pull up the calendar and say, great-grandfather Abraham uh, is told this by God, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that's not theirs. And they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. This is the beginning. Joseph is that man who's going to be the first one to bring his family to Egypt. And at the end of the story, it's going to be a good thing. They're going to be in Egypt to rescue the family. And they're going to flourish there. And later on, there's going to come a time when they populate massively. But then they will become oppressed. Joseph is the first person. God sends Joseph ahead of time to be in that land to eventually rescue his people. But God also told Abraham, I'm not only going to show you what's going on there, but your family is going to be a blessing to the people around. He says, Genesis 12, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Guess what? Joseph is the beginnings of that because he is a Hebrew. He is in the line of Abraham. And guess who is immediately blessed? Potiphar, his family's blessed, his household's blessed. Oh, and later on in the story, the jail is blessed by Joseph. God is pronouncing blessing and working blessing through Joseph. Now we get the perspective of what, knowing what's going on. In one sense, there's a perspective of Joseph. He's having to live through this. And another one, there's a perspective of the narrator who's saying, the Lord was with Joseph. I want you to, I'm going to point out a couple things real fast. I want you to know in verse 2 that the Lord was with Joseph, right? 
In fact, God's name, his sacred name, his covenant name, we call it Yahweh, um, yad heh vav Hebrew people out there, it's Y-H-W-H. That's his sacred, that's his covenant-keeping name. That's his I am, right? It says, he says, the Lord was with Joseph in verse 2 and in verse 3, right? And then at the end, when he's in jail, it says again, the Lord was with Joseph. And in the last verse, 23, he was with Joseph. So we get the perspective that God has been with Joseph. Now Joseph probably knows the promises that God would be with him, but as he's living it, he may not have the understanding that we have that God's going to use him. We get to read the story from the back. But sometimes when you're living life, you don't know really how God's working things, right? And so we're going to see what's going on here. So God's beginning to fulfill his promises. I got four, three headings I want to give to you, right? First of all, Joseph was trusted. Okay? I'm going to have three headings. That's verse 1 to 6. Joseph was trusted. I'm going to have three headings and three questions. First, Joseph was trusted. Joseph was successful. Look what it says here. First of all, I'm going to just point out, first of all, he's taken down to Egypt. Look at me at verse 1. He's brought down to Egypt. Egypt's a foreign place to him. He's a 17-year-old kid. He's been abruptly uprooted from his family. He's in a foreign place. He's all by himself. He is surrounded by Egyptian culture, Egyptian gods. Even the Pharaoh himself was considered a god. He's all alone. He doesn't have dad to be there. His brothers aren't there. I don't know if they would help him out, right? He has no advocate. He has no support. He's by himself in a foreign land. And he's probably a shepherd boy, but we don't know what kind of skills he has to be useful, right? He's all alone, but of course the text says that God was with him. And not only that, he sold like a piece of meat. Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian official, the captain of the bodyguard, one commentator comments that this could also mean that he's the chief executioner. He, brought, he bought him from the Ishmaelites. He sold like a piece of meat. And Joseph could have been sold as a common slave to work in the fields, but for some reason, God was with him, to cause Potiphar, an official to Pharaoh, to, to, to purchase him. He's a captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Michelin. It's almost like I'm saying like I'm saying Michelin and Ishmael. Ishmaelites. I like simple names like John and Joe. Anyway, and the Lord was with Joseph, verse two, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. He's his, he's his personal assistant. And then it says, verse six, that the master, Potiphar, verse six, left everything he owned in Joseph's hand. 
Joseph is put in charge and he's trusted. Joseph doesn't need to be at home to be trusted. He's trusted wherever he's at because that's his character, isn't it? His character is who he is everywhere he went. And Joseph doesn't make excuses and say, hey, I'm in Egypt. I don't have to follow the rules. It's his, in, in his nature to be a trustworthy young man. See, your character is, is not who you are when everyone else is seeing you. Your character is what you're like when no one sees you. He's trustworthy wherever he's at. Joseph could have said, hey, I, and we, get this, we know that Joseph actually tells in chapter 40, hey, hey, I was taken here. I shouldn't be here. But that doesn't stop him from being trustworthy. He's dependable. And I don't know about you. Look what it says in verse 6 again. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's hand. I don't know about you, but there's very few people I would even trust with everything I own, except for my wife, right? There's something about Joseph that spoke volumes. You see, as a believer, we are to have the same character that no no matter where we're at, we're trustworthy. That our name Christian isn't just a name and a bumper sticker on their car, but our very character goes before us and we are honest to the penny. That we're honest to, to no matter what circumstances we find, whether we're doing it for the Lord as in open ministry or whether we're doing it for the Lord as in doing our regular job day to day. Joseph is a good worker. He doesn't seek special treatment. He doesn't say, he's not bitter. He doesn't go in self-pity. He is reliable where he's at. This is significant because Joseph doesn't realize that he's going to need the strong character and trust in the Lord, because that's where his trust is, to bring him through things. He is faithful where he is. That's who he is. Jesus comments about the fact that being faithful. The one who is faithful in the little things is also faithful in much. And if you're faithful in little, he'll put you over much. Joseph has trustworthy character. And the test of a character is what you're like when no one sees you. It's what you're like when unbelievers are around. It's what you're like when things aren't going your way, but when you're all alone, when no one sees. When that's, that's the character. And if you skimp on that, if you try to get away, and you, you know, let's say you're in business, and you try to be untrustworthy, you try to steal, and you try to, well, no one will see, no one really hurts. It will affect, it'll, it'll affect your whole life. It will sour and spoil everything you do. It all comes down to, am I faithful to God? Because He's been faithful to me. Are you trustworthy where God has you? Joseph is working for, as a slave for, for an Egyptian. He doesn't want to be there, but he's still faithful. And God's, the Scripture says he's, he's with him. A man's character is revealed In trials like these. Secondly, Joseph is also tested. Look at verse 6b. Now Joseph was beautiful in form 
and beautiful appearance. Now, personally, I don't like to describe men as beautiful. To me, beautiful is for women and handsome is for men, but I get the point. Here's what's interesting. Only one other person in Scripture is, is described in this double, you know, double way, right? Beautiful and foreign. This is mom. In, in Genesis um, 29, it says that Ra- Rachel was beautiful in form and face, so he got his mom's good looks. He's 17, perhaps he's going on 18, he's coming into his prime, he's got, he's got probably a good tan going, he's got the abs going, he's got the broad shoulders, and working in the house, he would have been shirtless. They would have probably just wore a you know, little you know, pair of shorts, you know, it's a Bermuda shorts, um, not shorts, but skirt. a skirt, you know, but... And he's got, he's, hey, he's, hey, he's a hunk, and he's beautiful. And if you like long hair, he's got long hair. If you like short hair, he's got short hair. Either way, he's a stud, and he's coming into his, he's coming into, hey, you know, the men, hey, guys, remember when we used to be that way? <laughs> Some of us are, yeah, there's a couple in the back, are, are probably coming to their own. But he's, and he, you know something, he doesn't think about himself as beautiful and foreign. He's just kind of doing his, he's not thinking about himself, but hey, he's getting the attention of somebody here. Think about that. He's tall, he's dark, he's handsome, and he's available. Right? All the ladies are signing up for his, whatever account that he has on social media. To, <laughs> And they're posting old pictures of themselves when they were younger and better looking to get him to click yes, right? That's Joseph. He's beautiful. Good looking kid. But here comes the test. <clears throat> it happened after these things that his master's wife set her eyes on Joseph. In the Hebrew, she looks on him with longing eyes. And I don't know, as some texts indicate, that perhaps Potiphar was a eunuch. That would have been a problem for the marriage. Or it could be that he was so busy. He's so busy doing his work for Pharaoh that she feels neglected. Or it could be that she's this more of an aggressive woman who kind of does this, right? And in this culture, for a master and his wife to sleep around with the slaves was not uncommon. And Joseph, of course, could have, said, could have taken this and said, hey, the promotion's available here. All right? She says, she actually commands him and says, lie with me. Like, pretty, pretty abrupt, right? No, no beating around the bush, right? Just a direct, Right? Joseph could have done that, and perhaps he could have thought, I can advance myself by getting into goods with, with Mrs. Potiphar. We don't know her name. Listen, if you're destined for being used by God, you'll be tested. If you're destined for leadership, if you're destined to be used by God, you will be tested. Joseph, we saw with his brothers, was tested. He's actually, he was re- re- resisted by his brothers. But here there's a test. Jesus, of course, is tested before he enters ministry, right? The test is always happening. And with Joseph, he doesn't make excuses. He doesn't say, hey, you know, no one will know. Hey, hey, whatever happens in Egypt stays in Egypt. Let's, let's say, you know, no one's here. No, he doesn't do that. 
He doesn't say, hey, you know, this would be good for my resume. I can, I can do well with this. I can, can make connections and market myself and, and kind of make the rounds and meet the people and kind of move up the ranks. He's not even thinking in those terms. He doesn't think, hey, you know, no one will get hurt. Who's going to get hurt? Just me and you and, and a dog named Blue, right? Or, <laughs> I mean, this is no one's here. Just me and the missus. By the way, I deserve a break after all I've been through. I, I deserve, hey, I deserve a little R&R here. I deserve a little fun. Some things that we would say, wouldn't it be, right? No one? I can tell I'm boring you already. Let's get to the juicy part. <laughs> he doesn't say, hey, honey, you, your husband has neglected you. Sure. He actually disobeys her order. She orders him, commands him, lie with me. And he refuses. He says, verse 8, Behold, with me, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. I'm in charge here. How can I break the trust of my master? This young man has conviction, doesn't he? I'm in charge here, and he's entrusted me. How can I do that to my master? My master has given everything into my hands. Verse 9, there's no one greater in this house than I. He's entrusted me. He's withheld nothing from me except you. My master has only kept you from me. How can I dishonor his marriage by doing this? See, sometimes when we're tempted, we don't think about those things, do we? We kind of just look at the, we just kind of look at the hook. We don't even see the hook. We see the bait, don't we? We don't think. We all we just think about what's how it's going to meet my 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 needs. I got needs here. He says no. He doesn't say. He realizes. Wait a second. Pause button. What? What? Wait. This means I'm going to break his trust. I'm going to break your marriage boundaries, and then I'm going to break God's command. Look what he says here. He says. I love this line. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? You know, when you're, when you're tempted, the last thing that Satan wants you to think about is God. In fact, he wants you to think about anything else but God. But you bring God into the conversation, instantly there's, oh, oh. There, God's here. See, Joseph is aware of God. See, the text says the Lord was with Joseph, but Joseph is with God because he understands that God, he's still trusting God, right? How can I, God sees me. I may not be in, at home in the promised land. I may be in Egypt, but God's still with me, and I want to honor God. Young men, choose to honor God above all else because everything you do will be seen by God. How can I do this, this sin? You know, he doesn't do what we do nowadays. We blur the lines. We don't call sin sin anymore, do we? We say it's... I'm going to step on some toes. I'm sorry. But sometimes we justify sinful behavior and we call it... Well, it's...
It's a sickness. It's a condition I have. It's a disease. Right? And I don't doubt that there's sickness and disease and all that. I don't doubt that. I have this, this condition that causes me to sleep with married women. I, I can't help myself. I was born with this condition. Yeah, you were born a sinner like the rest of us. Call sin, sin. Whatever happened to sin? What do we, we call it? We call it a lifestyle. We call it a condition. We call it whatever. We call it anything that needs to have some sort of anything but repentance involved, right? He doesn't blur the lines and say, "Well, it's kind of well." She's she's filing for divorce, so that makes it right. He calls it sin. I wish I were this. I wish I were like Joseph. I, you know, times in my life I'm like, I wish I was, you know. But he has this conviction, and with this test, the test is: Does he stand by this conviction? He recognizes that this is a violation of God's commandment, and he takes God seriously. And if you don't take God seriously, you'll do anything you want. He has a fear of God. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, right? I remember in seminar we had a, in one of the classes I had was uh, some human sexuality class, and we had an assignment where <clears throat> Dr. Tracy said, "I want you to come up with I think it was a hundred, at least a hundred um, effects or ramifications of sexual sin." Okay, like if you gave in to this temptation, I want you to come up with a hundred. Because as soon when you're thinking in those terms, you're thinking, okay, it's going to affect more. It's going to affect me and this person, but it's going to affect me and her husband, and me and my children. Because then they're going to see dad's not really faithful, and then they're going to it's going to affect their children. Because and I, I have to look it up. I, I remember I think it was a hundred. Like like for for just a, a short few minutes of pleasure. Long time of, of effects, right? Now, I'm not, now, here's the thing. I'm not speaking right now to those who have been taken advantage of, like Joseph has almost taken advantage of. That's, that, that obviously, you're a victim in that. That's, you know, if you were the one subject to that, that's a whole lot of injury as well. That's ramification there. And that affects, you know, do you trust anyone anymore? How do you get up? That's, that's a whole other thing that God sees as well. So I'm not discounting yeah, that's, that's, that's a whole other sermon series right there, right? And it's real. But here, you know, either the temptation, the testing of Joseph is will you, will you, will you, will you, will you, will you, will you blur the lines and just smudge it a little bit just to kind of, you see, Satan. He always shows you the pleasures of sin, but he never shows you the pain of sin, does he? He doesn't show you the, the brokenness that happens over that. Oh, 
All sin is sin against God. David, who, of course, we know he commits adultery and he, uh, with Bathsheba, and he murders her husband. And a year later, Nathan the prophet confronts him. And in Psalm 51, he says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Go, go, go with me real fast to Proverbs 6. Proverbs 6. Just... And, I mean, there's a lot of scripture on, on sort of the, this enticement. And if you're a, a... I'm just speaking to the men because I don't know how women think, but I know how men think. We're around temptation all the time. Right? It's everywhere you go. Turn on the TV, turn on the news. Well, maybe not the news, but... Well, maybe the news. Turn on your Instagram, turn on your Facebook. Turn on whatever you go, there's temptations constantly bombarding you, right? And I know how we, I know what we think. And it's, there's enticements there. And, of course, Proverbs 6 warns. Look at verse um, 23. For the commandment is a, is a lamp, and, and the, light is, the law is light, and reproofs are for discipline are the way of life. To keep you from the evil woman, 624, Proverbs 624, to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the foreign women. Do not desire her beauty in her heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelids. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. An adulteress hunts for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom or take his clothes and not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. I mean, it goes on from there. Verse 32, The one who commits adultery with a woman is, not, is lacking a heart of wisdom. He would destroy his, his soul, does it? All kinds of proverbs talk about that, you know. In the, go back to the, to the Genesis. I just want to point that out. Genesis thirty nine. So Joseph says, as he's being, he says, "How then can I do this great evil and sin against God?" Joseph fears God. He honors God. He honors his his boss Potiphar, and he wants to honor his marriage. He has integrity through his all his life. But look what happens here. This temptation, this testing is not one time, it's persistent. Verse 10, so it happened that as she spoke to Joseph day after day, you get the idea, day after day after day, she is not giving up. Boy, she's a determined woman, isn't she? She is. Day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. He doesn't entertain her thoughts. He doesn't listen to her. He says, talk to the hand. I am not engaging with you. Why? Because eventually she wants to wear him down and Satan will allow temptation to come in your life to wear you down. So that you, so that you, okay, I guess, okay, I guess. You justify. Joseph, of course, is passing this test and Samson, on the other hand, who is, beautiful and has long hair and he's a stud and well he's worn down by a woman and finally he says hey 
I've never got a haircut before. I'm a Nazarite. That's my source of my power. And that was it. He gave in. Day after day. How does Joseph resist the sexual temptation? First of all, he understands the cost. It's going to be very costly, as we said. He understands he has a lot to lose and very little to gain. He recognizes it as evil, and he knows the limits that are before him. And he doesn't smudge the lines, because smudging the lines can be very dangerous. I want to tell a, tell a little illustration. My dad, who's a dentist, or he was a dentist, he's retired, but he used to have a dental office in Ajo, Arizona, 144 miles away. If you're going to Rocky Point, you're going to stop at Ajo, right? At that point, it was a mining town, then the mine shut down, became a retirement community. And all his, so he would, he'd have his office up in Phoenix, and then he would drive down there for Tuesday through Thursday and come back, you know, this guy. And his patients, you know, they loved him. And my dad liked to read while he drive. How many of you guys like to read while you drive? No one raised their hand, but some of us are guilty of right. So he likes to do that because he's got a, you know, it's a long drive, 144 miles. And he's got his, you know, his 1985 or 86 Trans Am, and it's fast. And he's set on a cruise control, and he's reading He's, he's got his, his, one of his dental books or something, you know, and he's, he's, he's driving and he's steering. And what had happened, and he had done this so many times, what had happened is they had re-asphalted the, the highway. And they hadn't, you know, um, normally they put the lines in? Well, they didn't put the lines in. And normally they put those grooves at the edges, you know, those, like you kind of drift, it wakes you up. They didn't put those in either. So it was all smooth black top, no light. And he's driving, and he had not realized that he, one, he had drifted, and he had not realized that, well, he looked up, and at the last moment, there was a bridge, an overpass directly in front of him, and he had to go do this kind of maneuver and, you know, and save his life. The lines were blurred. They were gone. The grooves weren't there. There was nothing to say, Danger, 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 danger. And the lines are there for a reason to keep you safe. That's my point. You blur the lines, you're going you're gonna to get in trouble. Joseph was able to resist, resist this temptation because he brought God into the equation. He confessed that he feared God. And he refused to give in, to drop his guard. And just like the woman, Satan's attack is to get you to drop your guard, to become vulnerable, to become, to become less ready. And perhaps he comes to you while you're hungry, or maybe you have a long day's work, or maybe you just argued with somebody, or maybe you're lonely like he was, or maybe you're neglected, and he wants you to drop your guard. Don't. And of course, he, he's sort of planned ahead because he doesn't say, hey lady, let me pray about it. Let me seek the Lord on it. Let me, let me. He doesn't do that. He knows instantly what God's word is and what God's will is. He doesn't say, I'll come back to you later on. No, he removes himself from the situation. And in fact, sometimes it's not just ignoring it, but sometimes you actually have to run away. Look at what it says here, verse, verse 11. Now it happened one day that when he went into the house to do his work, that none of the men of the house were there inside. Hmm, I wonder why. 
Then she seized him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. She, she surprised him. He's going into his job like any other day, focusing on what he has to do, and out of the blue, she grabs him. I mean, it's going from verbal seduction to now physical assault, you know, and, she ta- and he takes off. And sometimes you have to know when to run, even when your garment's being grasped, right? It doesn't mean you're trapped. You get to run, and that's what he does. He runs, he flees. As Paul says, flee immorality. Run. Sometimes you've got to run and get yourself out of the situation. Joseph was testing. He's, and when it says that she seized him, look at verse 11, she grabbed him. Or verse 12, rather, she seized him by the garment. That's a, that's a, a, a strong word. It's like, like this, not this dainty little, oh, I just... No, she grabs him forcefully. And he runs, the word here is the word noose in Hebrew. It means to run from danger. Like he runs like he means it. And he runs. And then she has to make up a story. It happened after she saw that he left his garment in her hand, verse 13, and fled outside, that she called to the men of her household and spoke to them. Now look what she does. She's very conniving here. Very subtle on her. She's speaking as the master. She's a master of, of these, these servants. See how he, Potiphar, has brought in a Hebrew to us. Now she's getting kind of anti-Hebrew here, right? See, he brought in this Hebrew to us. She's trying to get, the, she's trying to get, the, she's trying to get support for her story, right? She's probably got the tears going. Because tears convince a lot of people, don't they? And she laughed at us, and he came in to lie with me, and I screamed. And then, go down to verse 17, now she's speaking to her husband. The Hebrew slave that you brought to us came in to laugh at me, and I screamed. Now we have Joseph's tribulation, verse 19. Now it happened when his master heard the words of his wife, which he spoke to him, this is what your slave did to me. His anger burned. Now the text doesn't tell us. We assume she, he's angry at Joseph. You know that? But think about this. He is captain of the bodyguard. He is an executioner for Pharaoh. And he just found out that some dude, young, young Hebrew, tried to rape his wife. He would have executed him on the spot. I think that he doesn't really believe his wife. He knows how she thinks. Because he puts him into the, the king's prison. Okay, sort of like, a, you know, they've got internet there or something like that. You know, like a nicer thing. But it's still prison. But, they, you know, it's, he should have been dead. I think he does this to sort of appease her and say, hey, I'm punishing him. But I think his anger, this is my interpretation, and, and I think his anger is burning because he's going to lose the best employee he's ever had. He's going to lose a manager he trusts in because his wife couldn't keep her hands to herself. And he knows her tendencies, so, but he can't, you know, and he's got, okay, I've got to do something here. But everything he does is part of God's plan, though, because God has to get this Hebrew slave into prison because he has to be there for when Pharaoh's cupmaker and baker come to prison and meet Joseph. And Joseph doesn't realize that. 
But Joseph, though he's in trouble, let me just read the text here. His master took him and put him in jail in the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Psalm 105 comments on this. I'm just going to read this. Uh, I don't know if you have it. Did I give you that, um, that, that verse? I may not have. Psalm 105 just comments on this aspect from Joseph's life. Um, it says that they, this is speaking of Joseph, they afflicted his feet with fetters and he himself had, uh, had laid in or, uh, irons. Like he was, he's in, he's in, he's in change, you know, and, and it could be when he's sold in a slaver or when he's put into prison. The idea though is that he's in trouble and he's entering into greater tribulation because of his faithfulness to God. Now here's the question. What happens though when you've been faithful to God and it gets you into trouble. Sometimes I look at my life and say, boy, when I got into trouble, what did I do wrong? Maybe it's that God has been testing you. Maybe that God's preparing you. Maybe God's working behind the scenes. And just because you're facing difficulty doesn't mean it's God's displeasure of your life. Joseph has been faithful. He's been doing, he's been doing it all right. And he gets into trouble. In my mind, I'm thinking, how is that fair? But... The idea is that God is still with Joseph. Look what it says here, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. He had not neglected him. He had not forsaken him. And just because he was in prison, see, it was all God's plan all along to get him into that jail. Because God knows ahead of time that he's going to need to be in that jail to help these men out, and one day they'll get him out. God will use that. But Joseph doesn't see that. You may be in a situation right now in your life where you've done everything right. You've been faithful, you've been honorable, and somehow things are just going the wrong way. And you're in a, a time of tribulation. Does God hear me? Does God see me? We know he's been there for a while. Look at chapter 40. Look at chapter 40 real fast. Verse 14. He talks to the cup holder of Pharaoh who's in jail with him. Only remember me when it goes well with you, and please show me love and kindness by remembering me to Pharaoh and getting me out of this house. For I was, in fact, stolen from the land of Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Joseph's feeling this. Hey, why am I here? And sometimes God may allow you to be in a season of testing and tribulation, and it's not because you've done something wrong. It's because God is... He's got you on a pause button, so to speak. And maybe he's developing your character and your faith, but maybe it's the timing of the Lord. See, if God has started something in your life, he will finish it. And the way he uses it sometimes is using difficulties to shape your faith. I wish there was a button that God would just press and say, instant maturity and holiness, you know. But God uses the difficult things so that we're driven to our knees, so that we're calling on God, so that we're, you know what I'm saying? And then the timing of God. The Lord was with Joseph. How do you have confidence in God that God is with you when, you, when life takes a downturn in your life? See, we believe that God is with us in prosperity. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. But do we believe that God is with us in adversity? Even though I walk through the shadow of death, you are with me. Those times are hard, isn't it, right? I remember I've gone through seasons in my life where I was sort of in this, and I'm like, 
and I'm begging God to get me out. I'm, I'm on my I'm on my face because you didn't want it to end, right? <laughs> the, the pressure, the tribulation is is crushing sometimes, and all you have is God. All I have is you. I surrender. Jesus even says that he would be with us, Matthew 28, 20, always. But then he also says, Matthew 5, blessed are you when men insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of things evil against you because of me. Rejoice for your reward in heaven is great for the same way they persecute the prophets are before you. If you're a believer, expect tribulation and difficulties. Apostle Paul endured great suffering and tribulation because he was faithful to God. He talks about this in 2 Corinthians 11, that he was beaten, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was all kinds of stuff that he went through. But he concluded that, God's, that suffering does not mean God's abandonment or absence. And if you're a believer in Christ, as, as, as uh, Duane uh, wonderfully shared from Romans, that nothing can separate, separate you from the love of God, that you, that God is with you wherever you are, whether it's in adversity or prosperity, whether it's in the, the high places of life or in the very lows of life, whether you're together with people or all alone in your situation. He is with you. He's with you in your times of success. He's with you in your times of failure. He's with you when you feel alone. He's with you when your dreams have been dashed. He's with you at work. He's with you when you're tempted. He's with you when you've been abused. He's been with you when you've been falsely accused. He's with you when you feel abandoned. He's with you when you've been knocked down. He's with you when life seems to go backwards. When you seem like you're going backwards in life, He's still with you. He's with you when you feel like your faithfulness is not being rewarded. When others have left you down, He's with you. He's with you when He's silent. Because guess what? We read in Joseph, we don't hear God speaking to Joseph, but we know God's with Joseph. And how many times in our life has God been silent, but He's still been with us? He's with you when you've fallen. And thank you, Lord, that you've been gracious when we've fallen. He's with you at your highest highs and your lowest lows. He's with you wherever you're at. Sometimes your faithfulness will get you into trouble, but even then God is with you. God doesn't need circumstances in your life to be perfect in order to work in your life. God can use you and bless you in the most unpleasant circumstances. And all of that God can use. Let me ask you, do you see His hand in your life now, even if you're going through difficulties? Do you see His hand? Or do you blame Him for everything that's gone wrong? There's a famous, uh, famous I'm going to end with this, a famous poem where it's called Footsteps in the Sand. Remember that? Yes. I'm just going to read that. And the songwriter wonders why there were two footprints in the sand. You see the plaque, and he's got the picture. He's got two sets of footprints walking on the beach together, and it's you and God walking together. But then there's a point where there's only one step of footprints. And that was the time when he suffered, or she was going through suffering. It was, am I walking alone in my suffering? Has God abandoned me in my suffering? 
And then he asked God, What's, what gives here, God? We were walking together in good times. Adversity comes now, it's just me? And it feels like that, doesn't it? And God says, no, 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 my, my, my child, my son, my daughter, I love you. I, I would never leave you. But during the times of your trial and your suffering, when you saw one set of footprints, it was then I was carrying you. Is God carrying you today? Are you in tribulation like Joseph? You're wondering where God is. God is carrying you right now. I'm going to pray, and if anyone needs prayer after service, I'll be available. Sharon will be available to pray with anyone as the Lord leads. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that for some divinely wonderful reason you have chosen to use the times of tribulation to work in our lives. You had a plan for Joseph for doing great things, and I know you have wonderful plans for us. Maybe not on the scale of Joseph, but you do have plans for us, God. And Lord, maybe maybe we're wondering where you're at. Maybe you know we've been faithful, we've gone to church, we've been doing the Bible studies, we're memorizing scripture, we're doing everything we're supposed to do, and life is just going down. And maybe we're struggling with that. Where are you, God? Lord, Help us to see that you haven't left us, Lord. You're carrying us. Lord, I pray, Lord, for your encouragement. If there's anyone here, anyone watching online who's walking those in that season, and just as the Lord was with Joseph, he is with, he's with you. He's with the believer. Lord, I pray for encouragement and strengthening of faith. To continue to walk with you, walk with you in faithfulness, to look to you, Lord, your kindness. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. Why don't we stand up? I'm going to close, and then if anyone wants prayer, I'll be up for available for prayer. Sharon will be too. And uh, wow, I can't believe we're we're covering a chapter at a time. And you guys know me; I usually just one verse. I like I like Spurgeon, you know, like one verse and whole chapters, but this is fun, you know. And uh, anyway, God's good. Praise the Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you would bless my friends, my family here, my, and uh, that you would go before them, lead them in your in your uh, in your grace, Lord. Lead them Christ, uh, closer to Christ, and pray for strengthening of faith, for encouragement, for refreshing of our souls, Lord. And I pray the Lord's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless everyone. We'll see you guys next time.